Her Sports Six Nation Show in association with Opal. Hello and welcome to episode six of the Her Sports Six Nations show brought to you in association with Opal, the exclusive car partner to the IRFU. You can catch up on this episode and every episode in the series on YouTube and our social channels or listen to the podcast on every podcast app. For our final competition, we are giving you two tickets to see Ireland take on Scotland at the Kingspan Stadium in Belfast this weekend and a signed Irish rugby jersey. For your chance to win, answer this question. Who did Hannah Tyrrell make her international debut against in 2015? Comment below with the answer and we'll pick our winner tomorrow and comment your answers on Instagram and Twitter with the hashtag HerSportsSixNations. The winner of last week's competition for two tickets to the Ireland and Scotland game was Lolly Murray. We'll be in contact with you shortly to give you the tickets for the game. So Hannah, at the game at the weekend, Ireland's, I suppose, biggest match yet was against England with the final score being 69-0. What did you make of the game? Well, I suppose first thing like to mention is that I don't think the scoreline really reflected how the game actually went. Um, you know, I was really, really impressed by Ireland's first half performance. They did go into the, the halftime break 10-0 down, but I was just so, so impressed by the defensive shift. I think everyone was shocked at that first half. You know, but like -hmm. like the defensive shift, the passion, you know, Nicole Cronin had to go off uh, injured early on, and Enya Breen moved into the 10 position, her first start in the Six Nations. She wouldn't be a natural 10, but even a couple of minutes after that, she won a big turnover by forcing a knock on, and she let out a huge roar and a huge scream, and you could just see they were so up for this match. and. I suppose like you don't need much to get up uh, when you're playing like to get up for when you're playing against England but it was just great to see that the, the defensive effort was massive to keep a team like England who are the best team in the world you know have been scoring tries for fun lately to 10-0 at halftime for this Irish side coming in completely depleted of sevens players uh, and a couple of others like Sam Monaghan was it was a massive massive result now, unfortunately, in the second half, they just couldn't keep up uh, with that. You know, Do you think were... that was just tiredness? At the Look, end it's of the a day. bit of both. They put in a huge shift. It's obviously energy. When you're defending all the time, it does take a lot out of you. Um, England probably weren't at their best that first half. Some of that, you know, because Ireland forced them into mistakes. But others was just um, unforced errors they wouldn't usually make and they kind of rectified that in the second half I've no doubt they had a bit of a talking to at halftime and um, the English bench really came through in the second half you know they, I think their bench scored four tries and um, it does their depth their experience it all came through and again unfortunately Ireland's penalty count and, and errors uh, caught up with them we had two two cards in the second half and so we were playing with a man down that's physically and mentally draining and that all takes its toll and unfortunately you know we let our uh, we let England in they scored 11 tries in total nine in the second half and that is quite deflating but like I'm sure the girls are extremely proud of the performance they put in in the first half it's just now looking ahead to Scotland how can we do that for 80 minutes or for 70 minutes and really nail Scotland uh, so that they have no chance of getting back into the game. And what do you think the positives from their performance were? Obviously, England, as you said, weren't at their best and they did capitalise on that with their defending. But then, was there any players that stood out for you as well? Neve Jones had a good game. Molly Scruffle-McCabe starting. What did you make of her as well? Yeah, look, I, I think the positive in general is that whole first half because we actually had opportunities. We were camped inside uh, the English 22 for a couple of minutes as well. We, we missed a penalty we could have got on the board and um, so they're hugely positive moments as I said a lot of big hits coming in in defense our shape was really good they're all hugely positive things for Ireland to take on uh, into the Scotland game in terms of individual performances I thought Adele McMahon was absolutely exceptional uh, highest tackler 22 tackles on the day she got a couple of turnovers Neve Jones the same put in some huge yeah. dominant hits she got a lot of turnovers in the first half yeah there like well. look rightly so uh, her clip uh, of her tackle on Helena Rowland who was brilliant at the weekend has gone viral because it was a textbook tackle you know she lined her up she picked her up she drove her back and and drove her into the ground and they are kind of 
they're game changers. You know, when you can have a player like that who can turn the tide on a, a hugely um, important player in Roland playing at 15, like be able to knock her backwards, that kills all the moment, momentum of that uh, English side. And that was huge. I really thought Neve Jones has stepped up. I was maybe a little bit critical and harsh of her throwing in the first few games. But her work in the loose has been exceptional, you know. Um, prior to the England game, I think she'd made 100% of her tackles, 50 of them so far. And I think she made another 16 or 17 at the weekend. She's been an incredible find, so young. Um, I thought Molly Scuffle mccabe did really well in the first half. Um, she put Lydia Thompson uh, over, <laughs> over the line, which again gives that huge energy and a huge boost to the team. Like... Nine times out of ten, Lydia Thompson scores in the corner there. Extremely fast, extremely physical. And for Molly on her first cap to put in that big tackle and force her over the line was massive. Um, I think she'd be a little disappointed with her second half performance, particularly her tackling. But again, you have to remember, Ireland were extremely tired at that point. We were, you know, we'd had a couple of cards. We were down a man for most of the game or down a player for most of the game. And, and that kind of comes to it. But she, like, look. It was her first cap, a lot of learnings, a lot of good things. And um, I just think as a whole, you know, that it, it was great to see that performance in the first half. And now it's how do we make that to last longer than 40 minutes? Mm -hmm. And then there was obviously a lot of interesting talking points in the game. You mentioned there the cards, but before we even touch on that, the, there was a point at one point, a punch, as Nicola Friday called it, to Michelle Claffey. What did you make of that? Yeah, look, I think, you know... So um, it was uh, Leanne Infante at the time. England had a penalty. She tried to take a quick dove over the line. Michelle Claffey's trying to hold her up as any player would do. They seem to have gotten like entangled. So Michelle was trying to kind of get up. And I suppose Leanne thought she wasn't getting up quick enough. And, and she reacted. And that's like, that's a thing that as a player, you can't let get to. You can't react to things like that. For me it deserved at least a card. It is a, like, she has reacted, she has reached out, she has connected. Couldn't quite see whether it was more of like a slap or a push. I say push, because it was more than a push. But like, I, I'm not quite certain if it was a punch, because I couldn't see the closed fist. But for me, she's reacted angrily for no reason. Um, and it's a minimum of a yellow card for me, because, you have to stamp that out of a game. We don't want to see players getting into fights or anything else like that. And that just needs to be to be stamped out. Michelle was only trying to do what any player would do and try and prevent a try. And she gets that reaction from it. I think I, I, I think that shows, sorry now, but I think that shows how um, frustrated the English side were and, and how well Ireland were doing to, to get in their heads. Because she, if England were winning... 30 or 40 nil and everything was going right. I don't think she reacts like that. But the fact that Ireland had frustrated them for most of that half and things weren't going the way they usually go for England, she was frustrated and she was annoyed that she didn't score that or that the ref didn't let that go. I think Nicola Friday there kind of stepped up and really saying to the ref, because it would have probably gone overlooked as well. And she really, I think, has shown her leadership even in that game, even when they were losing halftime. I don't know what was said in that Irish dressing room, but it was probably all good considering they got that 10-0 scoreline there. Yeah, look, again, it's her first year uh, as captain. There is a lot of learnings there. You know, you need to be able to focus on your own game, but also can you lead your team around you? Are you able to speak to the ref? Um, and I, I do think she was right to speak to the ref because for me, the ref was letting it go. I, I don't think she saw it in fairness, but TMO hadn't picked up on it either. And if Nicola hadn't gone and, and said to the ref, I think you need to look at that because Claffy, in fairness to her, didn't actually react. Mm -hmm. You know, many other players could have rolled around and, and feigned that, you know, she'd been absolutely thumped there, um, but she didn't in fairness to her. But Nicola just wanted to make sure the ref saw that. And, and penalty was reversed, but I think it should have been more. And we saw then later in the game again when, when we saw cards being dished out. Nicola was trying to reason, trying to get um, you know, the explanation from the referee as to why certain things were happening and why calls had been made. And, and that is great to see. And it's, 
it shows that she has learned from this campaign and that she will only continue to grow and improve as the leader and as the captain for this team. Mm -hmm. And then we've seen, obviously, Dorothy Wall's yellow card. A lot of people probably would have seen on Jess Breach's Instagram the cut. It was quite a deep cut that she got as well. What did you make of that? And do you think the yellow card was right to begin? Yeah, look, it, it was a bad clash. As you say, Jess Breach had to go off with a nasty cut and did not come back on whether that was for a failed HIA or whether they were just being precautious because of the cut, um, I've no idea. But for me, um, it was a card. Looking at past, um, I suppose, games, both on the men and women's side, you know, World Rugby have highlighted that they, we need to cut down on the high tackles. And for me, you know, Dorothy, it's, it's a really poor tackle. Um, I don't think that she bends at all. She's very upright, which causes that head-to-head uh, -head contact. And unfortunately, Jess Breach comes out the wrong side of it. Look, from Dorothy's side of things, I am certain that there was no malice, no ill intent, you know, there. She did not set out to hurt her, merely to put in a big tackle. But she got it wrong. Um, I think she was lucky with the yellow card, to be honest. And again, I'm not a referee, but just the way that World Rugby has been going on about trying to cut out these um, high contacts and head-to-head -head things, I, I thought the ref was going to pull out a red card. Uh, so I was very relieved to see that it was a yellow, and I'm sure Dorothy was too. And then Sene obviously wasn't so lucky, and she got a red card at the game, but it's since been appealed. What do you make of that decision? Again, um, it's another high tackle with very little mitigation for me. There's no, um, she doesn't duck into the tackle again. She's very upright. Granted, I do think she's trying to cut out the, the skip pass from Scarrett or the kick in behind. And that's why she's upright and her hands are, are kind of above her head. And then she makes the split decision to tackle. And you have to remember, this is happening very, very quickly. But it is a player's responsibility to get low because... Other players, like we saw with Jess Breach, can come out with massive injuries from this. Now, Breach is lucky it was just a cut and maybe... But, like, if that's a concussion, we don't know how long that might affect her for. And I do think it was a red card at the time. I was, again, surprised to see it rescinded. But I'm not a referee. World Rugby have had a look at it. The Sighting Commission has had a look at it. And she is free to play the weekend. But I did think that we would have had two red cards at the weekend and we would have been down a lot of players and... I'm sure Senny knows that again, no malice, no ill intent, no um, desire to go out there and hurt another player, um, but she, she was high, she does make contact with Scarrett, Scarrett did have to go off for a HIA, thankfully came back on, but they're da it's dangerous, like it is a very dangerous thing, we've seen before with players, I know players myself who are out with concussion long term or have to retire because of an accidental head collision. And so we really need to get our tackle technique lower, you know, and, and we need to start bending from the hips. And I think it's the choke tackle that a lot of players are going for. And that's what ends up with these high upright tackles. But uh, it is something World Rugby have been focusing on, but a lot of work needs doing on it. And obviously the Ireland team were probably getting frustrated because they had had such a successful first half and then the tries were building in the second half. For those English players, was there any standout performances from them? Obviously, a lot of players off the bench got their tries in as well. Yeah, look, in the first half, there wasn't really many standout English players and it's not very often you can say that. Look, granted, they went in 10-0. Lark Davies got a try after two minutes and things looked really ominous then and I wondered what the scoreline you know, could be, but going in at halftime, only 10-0 down, the Irish team would be much happier. And, you know, Scarrett missed a couple of kicks she wouldn't normally. Um, their mall was going quite well. Marley Packer, I thought, was excellent. But in the second half, they just took off. Marley Packer, I felt like, was everywhere. Deserved player of the match. Um, and, again, their bench just had a huge impact. I thought, actually... Helena Rowland at 15 had done really well in her kick returns. Uh, she's electric feet, she's very fast, and she kind of found a few gaps um, along the way. And she's a very versatile player and becoming very, very important for England. And it's interesting because she is normally a sevens player, but I think she's actually turned down a sevens contract to go with England full-time and aim for that World Cup. But she's played 10 centre and a full-back this um, Six Nations. So her versatility has been massive for England. Um, Poppy Cleal to come off the bench. She's a world-class player. 
she's only coming off the bench, which is crazy to think. She scored two tries. Ellie Kildon came off the bench, two tries. She, she got tried around, I think. And they were excellent. But they seemed a lot more cohesive in the second half. They had a beautiful backline play, uh, which led to a try um, for Lydia Thompson, I think it was. And they just ripped Ireland apart. And that just showed us how good they can be once they are cohesive and, and working together. But... And yeah, they're just incredible. Their their strength and depth is is exceptional. And the France game this weekend should be an unbelievable game to watch with some outrageously talented players. And, and I hope that we just have a cracking game that's really nice and close for the end for us neutrals. And then obviously we knew heading into that England game, we had lost players. Do you think the scoreline would have been different if we'd still had those sevens players? Do I think we would have won the game? Absolutely not. Do I think the scoreline could have been different? We will never know. And, and, you know, I think it's unfair on the players who put their body on the line last weekend to say that the score would have been different. Because we will never know. You know, we could have had all our sevens players out there and, and those who were injured and missing um, for whatever reasons out there. And it still could have been 69 now. You know, or we could have... Uh, put them out there and it could have been more than 10-0 at halftime too. Like, you know, yes, some of the sevens players and, and Sam Mann, who, who has been injured, um, have been incredible for us this campaign. Um, we can't say what, whether they would have made a difference or not. Like, they're extremely talented, but I think the players that were on the pitch did the best job that they could have. As we saw in the first half, they put up a huge fight and unfortunately the second half just got away from them a little bit. Following Ireland's defeat to England last weekend, the Independent.ie published an article stating that the Irish women's 15 players are set to seal contracts for next season. Earlier today, we spoke with rugby journalist Stella Mills to evaluate further why professionalism is necessary for the development of Irish and international women's rugby. We requested further information on this from the IRFU, who said the decision for this will be made once the Head of Women's Performance and Pathways is appointed. This is a priority for the IRFU, but no timelines are in place yet. Stella, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Her Sports Six Nations show. No worries, thanks for having me guys. So the game on the weekend, obviously Ireland, the amateur side against the professional side of England, what did you make of it? I mean, I thought the first half was very, very strong from Ireland, to be honest. It was always going to be a really tall order for them to come in. You know, England are at home, record-breaking crowd. They're on a high, high win streak. And Ireland, arguably, you know, half of your team aren't there. So it's a really, really difficult one. I thought there was a lot of errors. I do still think that, and I know Jess Hayden mentioned it before when you had her on, but we still haven't seen the strongest England side that you can see. Um, but more importantly for me, it kicked on some huge issues which are now being openly spoken about. And hopefully, you know, we're seeing some progress in terms of what that means in, in you know, contracts and, and investment and, and wider things for the game. Like, I, I don't know about you, but like, I've been really impressed by England this tournament, but... I wasn't too impressed by them in the first half. You know, I, I think they had a lot of mistakes. They had a lot of opportunities and, and granted they went in 10-0, but um, a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of handling errors. And I thought to myself, like, you know, France have been similar this tournament. Like, it's built it up to be a really good game this weekend. But, you know, like England didn't look all too convincing in the first half. Second half, granted, things definitely changed, but... Um, I thought Ireland put it up to them really, really well in the first half. Yeah, and there's always that kind of worry, isn't there? I mean, after the Autumn Internationals, they were on such a high as a team. You know, they'd just beaten the Black Ferns. Uh, you know, everyone was, you know, thinking what can stop them and, and how good are they? It's always really hard to be number one because you're not chasing anything. You know, what are you going after? What are you, what are you pitting yourself up for? And perhaps, you know, there was kind of talks maybe before that it wasn't, you know, they were kind of skipping ahead this match because everything is on France. It always has been from the start. And that is not a disservice to the Ireland squad at all. But that's just kind of maybe how things have been, you know, thinking. And, and some strong words were obviously exchanged in the, um, in the whole situation. So, you know, we, we just need to see what happens. 
Can you just explain specifically what that means? So obviously the most obvious thing is the Irish players went home and then got up for work the next day. But what else comes into consideration with that professionalism? I think professionalism stems way, way, way beyond money. I mean, let's be completely frank here. You don't go into playing women's rugby for the big 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 bucks do you you know they're not going into this making money for for England so let's lay it out how it is they got to get straight onto a flight to France they all had a day by the pool resting relaxing you know um being with the team and just getting that chance in to recover the Irish team flew back home and had to go straight to work the next day I mean and and you know the biggest thing here is that it is for an England rugby player it's their career it's their full-time career. It's everything that every single decision they make in that day is hemming towards the career and the rugby. Whereas for the Irish squad, they don't get that luxury because they don't get that time. They don't get afforded that necessity. And also, you know, when we're talking about contracts here, it's way more than money. It's about respect because the by England giving the contracts, they're saying, go on, girls, you know, we trust you. We, we have so much respect for you. Let's go for it. In Ireland, there's that void at the moment. And it's kind of a bit like, well, where does that respect come? And, and it's almost like the union need to kind of step up, which, you know, they, we have had some things come out in the press recently to say that and, and say, we trust you. We're going to go for you and we're going to back you. But I think, you know, it's, it's more, it's about rest. It's about recovery. And it's not just about physical things either. It's about being able to have time as a team to talk about the things that went wrong, to analyse things that went right, to bond as a team. You know, it, you, you can't just expect a team to turn up on match day and pull something out of the bag against arguably one of the best teams in the world with no, little to no prep. And that is, again, not a slant on the players at all because they're doing their very very best to have careers and then train at the same time there's not enough hours in the day i wrote about it recently in an article there is simply not enough hours in the day to have a full-time career and be a full-time rugby player it, it, it's, it's just not going to happen yeah and like i think it was really noticeable and probably opened up a lot of people's eyes and um, even mcdermott who started in the second row for ireland at the weekend she had a tweet bright and early Monday morning that she was back to work and, you know, she works as a nurse, you know, on the front line the whole way throughout the, the pandemic. And I think that just to the, you know, people who maybe don't follow women's rugby as much and don't understand the amateur versus professional side of things and, you know, what England are getting, that kind of showed people like, wow, she, she was playing a game, you know, only less than 24 hours ago and she's already back to work. And as you said, England had the luxury to fly straight out to France to really start preparing for the next game. But like the likes of Eva McDermott and the rest of that squad, they couldn't even think about rugby anymore. They had to get on with their day job, you know, make some money to, to live their own lives. And then only after that, when she got home from a long day of work, could she actually start to recover properly and relax and put the feet up and, and start focusing on the Scotland game. And, it does have a massive impact, as you said, not just physically in terms of being able to put the feet up and rest and relax and recover, but also mentally, like, you know, not being able to switch off fully because you have to focus on your job and not having a rest day as such, because even when on days when you're not training, you're still going to work and, and trying to get other bits and pieces done. Mm -hmm. It does take its toll and, and we're going to see that. And I think we saw that in the second half of the England-Ireland game at the weekend where... You know, we were week five of the Six Nations and in the second half, the Irish players looked tired. And that's just mm -hmm. like, you know, that's no fault of their own. They gave an immense performance in the first half, but you could see they were a little bit jaded in the second half and it allowed England to, to rack up the score. I think to play a game to that standard, like against one of the best teams in the world and then be going into work, I think it really did show, as you were saying there, people like what it meant to play rugby for Ireland compared to having a professional contract there. Yeah, like, and you're not only physically tired, you're physically sore. Like you wake up the next day sore. I just, it's, it's hard. Like you almost feel hung over, even though you haven't had a drink the night before. And that nobody wants to go to work feeling like that. Nobody feels fresh. And you mentioned there, Stella, that Ireland, obviously, there has been talks about bringing in contracts. Um, it's a long time coming, I suppose. But something interesting they did say is that they wouldn't come into play until the new head of women's performance and pathways was appointed. The role for which was only just closed in the last number of days. So what do you make of 
of that statement from the IRFU? You know what, I think it's one of the many, well, one of the few things that the IRFU have got right, because these contracts cannot be rushed. You know, you, you can't have them. It would be stupid for them to come out tomorrow and say, here's our contracted players. This is what we're going to do because no thought had gone into it. And, you know, we've got to be very careful here because there's been a lot of contracts go through in the Six Nations very, very quickly. And sometimes the best decisions aren't made there. Right. So you need to consider the length of the contract, what it's going to be for the players. Is it going to be semi-professional? Is it going to be professional? Because don't forget, these women have, like you just mentioned, careers. You are asking them to give up a career and move into another career. It's no longer going to be a hobby. It's a big, big step, right? You need to get the right people behind that. You need to ensure that the squad is completely comfortable and happy with that. And some honest conversations need to hopefully happen between the IRFU and the players because that's the only way forward that it's going to kind of going to you know make things a, a bit better and we're going to see a hopefully really really kind of competitive six nations next year yeah and I, like it is a, a tricky one you know as a someone who's been in that position before like contracts are a huge a hugely positive step forward for the rfu i do think that if we want to compete that is the way forward that we have to go. Personally, I didn't think it would happen so soon. Um, but you, like you say, you do have to be careful with that. You know, are, are the contracts going to be enough to cover the cost of living in Dublin? Um, you know, are people still going to be able to pay their mortgage or their rent or whatever else with this and live a comfortable life outside of that? Are people willing to give up their careers or their studies, you know, to, to take on these contracts? But I think a big thing as well is how do you give contracts to everybody like England exactly. or do you do you go like Wales and you give some full-time some part-time and how do you make the decision based off of that because I I heard again through social media that Wales gave out their 12 full-time and, and 12 um, part-time contracts there but there are actually some players who were given full-time contracts who are now not really being picked in yeah. Uh, Welsh squads are not starting for Wales and you know there are players who are uncontracted or on part-time contracts who are and like you don't want to be rushed in to giving this player a full-time contract and then actually it emerges that by the time the Six Nations comes around uh, next season that they're no longer part of your plans or they're not really a starter anymore like so you, you can't rush these this can't be a knee-jerk reaction um, but I do think it is hugely positive for the RFU and I hope that they can work it out, that we can retain our best players, um, you know, put them on their full-time contracts and we can actually develop them and, and see how far we go. But it'll be interesting to see were there any maybe players who are planning on retiring at the end of this Six Nations because of the toll that rugby has been taking and the time it's been taken um, out of their social life and everything else. Now, with the offer of contracts, might they go, well, why not for a year? Why not have the opportunity to be a professional rugby player? Something that a lot of them thought they would never, ever get that opportunity. So it will be interesting to see whether a few of those maybe veterans um, hang around when they weren't initially planning on. And Greg McWilliams as well, after the game, he also, I suppose, said the need for professional contracts was there. And something he said was that they need to come in before Ireland lose sight of the likes of England and France. If Ireland did get their contracts over the next year, how long do you think it would take them to catch up with England? Or even like, do you think they can catch up at this stage? I think there's always room to catch up, but it's a matter of a long period of time. Let's not forget here that England have not been professional for two days, two weeks. They've been professional for a long time. And the other thing that we have that we have to recognise here is the pathways. We have a huge reserve of players waiting to just come on through thanks to the Alliance Prem. You know, we, we, we can't under, you know, that, that feeds the England team to no avail. So, how quickly they're going to catch up will largely depend. And again, it's not going to, you can't throw money at this to just make it disappear. There has to be infrastructural changes. You know, there has to be big decisions. There probably has to be some more coaching staff that are going to be brought into the fold and, and kind of, you know, different things like nutrition and S&C and, and how does that all come into play? Because at the moment, you know, for these teams that aren't fully professional, 
they're largely doing all of this on their own. They're doing their own gym. Yes, they get plans and things like that, but they're doing gym sessions in their own time. And how is that going to kind of, you know, shapeshift and move things towards? And there's there's going to be teething problems. Like we can't lie and just say, as soon as you're giving, and th- that is a lot of kind of what I'm hearing is, oh, as soon as we're giving contracts, you know, everything will, will, will magically be better. No, the hard graph starts now. You know, it, it's choosing those contracts and then it's moving towards, I think, you know, but then that being said, I could eat my words because look at Wales, you know, they they gave, they got professional contracts and I, you know, I was the first to think, okay, you know, it's not gonna make a huge difference, but they came out of the blocks firing. So is it a mental shift? You know, it does something mentally shift in a, a player's mind and, and they unlock a new level. Who knows? Yeah, it is. Like, it's an interesting one. I, I don't think, you know, by Ireland getting contracts um, tomorrow, that come the next six nations, they'll suddenly be favourites to win. You know, I, I agree with you, Stella, that I think England have been, you know, one of the best sides in the world for a long time because they have been professional for, for so long. And for Ireland, this just needs to be an improvement. You know, we just need to see them improve because we saw in the first half of the Ireland-England game, like, the passion is there, the drive is there, the talent is there. You know, it's just about using every single resource we have available to us to make sure that we are in a prime position come match day to be able to perform, you know, and that the, the thing about contracts we're bringing is those little bit of one percenters, as, as I call them, like that extra time to sleep and, and get, you know, eight hours instead of seven hours every day because you're not going to work. Uh, to have an extra hour or two on the couch to put the feet up and not be stressing about work to be able to have time to meal prep and refuel and hydrate yourself properly. They're all little 1% that can make a huge, huge difference in a game. And I think that's what we'll see change over the next um, course of the Six Nations campaign. But do I think it'll put us in a position to win the Six Nations next year? No, but will we have closed the gap? Yes, I think so. And Italy obviously became the latest team to announce it. And myself and Hannah thought it was interesting, just the timing of it, like halfway through the tournament. What did you make of that, their announcement? It was smart. It was a very smart announcement to announce it halfway through the tournament. I I did think going into this that we'd see some form of professionalization of, of you know one of the few teams that are left over to do it um I, I think it's a smart smart choice and, and a good thing to do it um it's an interesting bit of timing um and I wonder how long this was kind of in the pipeline for obviously these things never happen overnight but I do wonder how far back they kind of started those conversations with because let's not forget that you know this Six Nations has been record-breaking. I think the viewing figures have just come out here for um, the BBC and insane, you know, like not only have we seen record-breaking crowds, but the actual interest of the sport is growing phenomenally quickly, you know? So it it, it makes unions look almost silly that they're, they're behind the mark and, and not kind of investing where, you know, fans are investing in this, you know? Why aren't unions? So I think it was smart timing. And the IRFU obviously haven't released a timeline for Ireland to get these contracts, but what sort of timeline would you like to see? Like, when do you think it would be appropriate to bring in these contracts? I think they need to, as I said before, they need to get their basics sorted first. And I think it's it's good that they've publicly committed to it because that's what we wanted to see, right, with the kind of outcry after the match. I do think that the... I, I wouldn't be too upset if it did take, you know, a few weeks, months to, to kind of come into play, as long as we were reassured that the conversations were happening in depth behind closed doors. Um, so, yeah, you know, weeks, months probably is my gut feeling on that. I, I, I wonder, and again, it's just my opinion, but I wonder, will they kind of put that offer out after the summer tour that was just announced because I know Greg mentioned that he had a couple of under 18 players he was really interested in and he thought could make the step up so I wonder will they almost use that summer tour as an opportunity or a trial for players to kind of stake a claim for contracts that are going forward because again you don't want to rush into any of this you don't want to be picking players um, for contracts who you know won't be part of your plans um, and I think that could be a very smart way of going about things. Give them a bit of a trial, say, here you go, here's your opportunity. You're all going to get a good amount of game time um, against Japan, who are pretty good opposition. They're going to the, the World Cup. Um, 
And then from there, you know, around September time, kind of kick in with contracts, which gives you a nice build up to the Six Nations. Um, and, and there's time to develop there. I also think there's a lot of players in the squad are quite young and are still students and are teachers and that. And kind of with the school year starting in September, you know, it might align perfectly to kick off that contract then so that they can sort out their studies or defer or to career breaks or whatever else. It, it might work that way, but that's just my, my thinking. And maybe that's me being a teacher, hoping that that's the way they go to help ease the students and the teachers in that regard. And then obviously we know they're not coming in until this new role is appointed. And in that role of women's performance and pathways, who would you like to see in that position? Who would I like to see? Some, it's funny because um, with the Black Ferns kind of situation that's just happened, obviously we've got a new kind of director and manager there. And the thing that struck me about that was somebody who straight off the blocks, I think the quote for the press release was, was pretty savage and to the point. And I, I personally would like to see somebody who and kind of basically not hold their hands up, but say, look, we've got a lot to work on here. This is what we need to do. And this is how we need to do it. In terms of who's right for that role, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, but the characteristics behind it need to be truthful, honest. And I think they need to be somebody who's willing to communicate and listen to the squad and, and what's kind of best for them. I personally would love to see somebody uh, like Lynn Cantwell, who is a performance director of women's rugby down in South Africa. Now, to be honest, chances of getting her are very slim, but even somebody with similar, I suppose, characteristics, like you say, she's a great leader. She's very well respected within the RFU. She obviously has massive experience within that role. Um, she has played for Ireland. She's been there through some good times and some bad times. Um, and she comes very, very well respected for what she does. Uh, however, I don't think we're going to poach her from South Africa this quickly because she's not there too long. But uh, yeah, like Stella said, somebody just that cares about women's rugby, that knows exactly what is needed to put us on the pathway to success and improvement. Um, and who knows that this isn't going to happen overnight, that it's going to take time, that there's going to be teething problems that they can overcome, but that someone who's willing to be able to work with the players as well to make sure, you know, the players feel included in how, how this is going to be run. Because at the end of the day, without the players, you have nothing, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't want to be in a situation uh, like we were before where we have that sevens and fifteens annoyance or grievances and, and splits and everything else. And, you know, one member of the RFU getting a lot of grief and that we don't need that background noise. At the end of the day, we want to focus on what's happening on the pitch yeah. for that to go smoothly. We need to have everything off the pitch smoothly. And I just hope we get somebody who's really passionate to change and to help women's rugby because the potential for growth there is massive. Um, so it is and it will be interesting to see who they appoint mm -hmm. and whoever it is, I wish them well, but um, it, it's not an easy task. No, and I think it'll be interesting to see if it's, I suppose we're expecting someone that we do know and a familiar yeah. face, but if it's not, it, that might be an interesting choice on the IRFU's behalf as well, maybe. But it mightn't be a bad choice. Sometimes, you know, a fresh face, you know, someone who's coming in with new ideas and, and new ways of approaching things can almost be a good thing, mm -hmm. you know. And, and sometimes when you have somebody who's already known within the setup, um, you know, they kind of sometimes might come in with blinkers on and don't actually see other opportunities that are there. So... You know, whoever it is, as I said, I just hope that this goes right because we, as I said, from that first half, we can see there's talent there. We can see there's desire and passion and we need to use this opportunity with the way women's rugby is around the world at the minute to pounce on that and, and improve. Mm -hmm. And Stella, just in terms of the next Six Nations, obviously this Six Nations, the focus was kind of on good rugby, like getting more attendance, more coverage of women's rugby, but we obviously knew that a lot of the matches weren't ever going to be even and we knew the outcomes before they were even played. But for the next six, six Nations, if contracts come in, what would you expect to see from that or what do you hope changes in women's rugby by then? 
I think the more competitive the matches get, the more coverage you're going to get because, you know, sport is supposed to be competitive. You don't want to go into a match with a, a foregone conclusion, you know, and I think in a lot of these matches that there was foregone conclusions. Don't get me wrong, there was a few kind of spanners in the works, which we all love to see as fans and on the edge of our seats, you know, in the last few minutes. But I think, you know, hopefully we're going to see more matches that are edge of your seat stuff. And I think, you know, primarily working myself in the work marketing and PR background fans need to see things that excite them you want to you know this is how you get our sport into the next generation and to different fan groups people who have never even watched men's rugby you know are becoming fans of women's rugby because they're seeing these clippets online these highlight reels and they're getting excited for it and I think you know what we've done in a very short space of time with this six nations is exceptional okay you know you can't fault that in terms of the the crowd the the coverage things like that but what we can now do limitless because if you if you give the teams what they need and the support they need they're only going to improve which means the matches are also going to improve so people are going to get excited people are really going to want to go and watch matches you know it's not just going to be a foregone conclusion in that sense yeah, I, I really think that the World Cup this year will have a huge knock-on effect for the Six Nations in that hopefully you get lots of coverage both in Ireland, the UK and around the world. And as you say, you're going to see the best teams in the world play there and there should be some excellent matches with intriguing matchups. Um, and as you said, you want to see those bits of skills. I mentioned this at the start of the Six Nations. You want to see clips going viral. So the Sam Monaghan offload, Ellie Kildun's try at the weekend. They are the things you that people kind of catch. They're not into rugby, but they see a highlight reel um, on Instagram and it they click in and all of a sudden they're like, oh, the next game's down the road for me. I'll go and, and watch that because that was brilliant. You know, seeing Twitter constantly announcing that there are uh, match records being or, or attendance records being broken they kind of catch the eye of people and I think with the World Cup this year hopefully New Zealand put on a big show and all the teams coming we can have some cracking matches and that that kind of flows over into the Six Nations um, and and yeah hopefully we get some really competitive games and I still think England and France will run away with it next year, but that some other matches will be much more competitive and highly contested. Yeah, so hopefully we're back, I suppose, for the next Six Nations, talking about how more competitive they will be and even putting up more of a fight against England and France because at the end of the day, they know they're the better team. So there's not much competition they're going out to play against that they don't know, that they know they're going to win most of the time. But Stella, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today. And we really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll be talking again for the next Six Nations. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. So as well as the Ireland and England game last weekend, we also had Italy and Scotland and France and Wales. Italy and Scotland, the scoreline there was 20 to 13. What did you think of that game? Yeah, look, um, we actually saw some really good rugby from Italy. I thought it'd be a little tighter. I actually thought it'd be a lot high scoring or more high scoring than it was. But um, Scotland were in complete control of that game at half time. And I don't know what happened after that, but Italy came firing out the blocks. And for me, they were deserved of their win based on the second half performance that they put in. But Scotland will be extremely disappointed that they were ahead at half time. You know, they were in complete control and then they let that fall. And this weekend's game against Ireland, like if they don't win, they'll have no wins this Six Nations and you know they're going to the World Cup for the first time and they came into the Six Nations on the back of qualifying for that World Cup and I, I really thought they'd come in with a lot of confidence and do quite well but it just hasn't worked for them um, but they could be dangerous for Ireland this weekend because they don't want to be the only team without a win um, and so it'll be something Ireland really needs to look out for. Mm -hmm. And then the France and Wales game 33-5 obviously France now are going to take on England. Did you think the scoreline might have been a bit bigger there or did you expect it? Yeah, look, France are very capable of scoring uh, more than 33 points. But what we've seen mostly uh, this season is, or this championship is that they come out firing in the blocks uh, in the first half. And then the second half, they tend to get a little bit more disjointed. And um, what we saw is they started to actually rest a lot of their big players. And I presume that was because of, of next week's or this weekend's game 
Um, but yeah, they took off the likes of Sansus and Fall and that to rest them, who've been huge for them over the last couple of weeks with an eye to, to the England game coming in. So it did get a little bit disjointed in the second half, but they had the game fairly well wrapped up. Still not a great performance from them. Um, it'll be interesting to see their team this weekend. They have a couple of injuries. England have a couple of injuries, but... Um, Drew Ann is still out at 10. I thought Tremoulier did a good job there, but they're still kind of chopping and changing. I don't think they've found their best 15 yet. So um, I can't wait to see the team they have out, and it should be a cracking game. But they, they were easy winners in that game. Wales didn't really put it up to them, but I'm sure they'd be delighted that they did get a try in there. And there has been, I suppose, a few errors from both France and England over the past few games. England, obviously, with their first half against Ireland. France have had a few just messy penalties and things. What do you think they'll both be kind of looking to play this weekend for the Grand Slam decider? I suppose with those mistakes and stuff, like it shows you that regardless of whether you're professional or not, that you, there are unforced errors, you know, nobody's perfect. You'll still make mistakes. You'll still give away penalties. It doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win a game or have the perfect performance. But this weekend's game, I think it'll be a really cagey affair. You know, France will still try to play... Um, their offloading game that they love in front football whereas England's pack will really be trying to get on the front foot so they can release those electric backs that they have and um, you know it's it's in France so the atmosphere will be massive I'm expecting a huge huge crowd there and um, probably to start it'd be a big kicking game to try and get a bit of territory and who can you know I suppose rattle the other team and who can keep their composure but um I'd say England are shading it and are favourites to win. Uh, they've won the last eight meetings between them and France haven't won since 2018. But again, France are at home. You know, England didn't look too great in the first half of, of last weekend. I'm sure France will watch that and go, this team can be got at. Like, we can, we can really go at them if we start fast. So whichever team I think gets the better start and, and can keep the penalties and the unforced errors to a minimum should win this game. But... I'm hoping it's a tight one. And Sarah Hunter, obviously England captain, reeled out. I suppose very disappointing for her for this last match. Yeah, look, it's she's been an exceptional leader for England for a very long time, and to play in all the games and then and then be ruled out for this one with a rib injury, it is tough to take. But you know they've Poppy Cleal on the bench to come on, and you know she was nominated for World Player of the Year last year, and. Um, She's an unbelievable replacement to have. And yes, they'll miss the leadership and that, but Poppy Cleo's very well able and I'm sure they have another exceptional player to come onto the bench. Um, just shows the, the depth that England have. You know, France have their injury worries, like I mentioned about Drew Ann. So, yeah, it'll be seen. But I suppose with Hunter's injury, it shows how physical the game was and how hard the Irish were hitting last week that uh, she had to go off. And there was a, a moment when the, the camera went to her last weekend. She was looking a bit sorry for herself there in the crowd and I'm sure the Irish players will take a bit of uh, a bit of heart from that and then in terms of Ireland at the start of the Six Nations show we wanted three home wins that obviously didn't happen with the game against Wales but now we have the chance for our second win do you think we'll be able to get it yeah I do there's a lot of factors that will come into play um as I said Scotland are gonna be wounded animals you know they don't want to be the only team to not win a game They'll be looking for a huge victory here just to boost their morale before heading to the World Cup. Ireland, on the other hand, will definitely... Do we have the talent and players and the ability to, to beat Scotland? Absolutely, based on the first half performance we saw last weekend. However, it's a very tight turnaround. We seem to have lost a couple of players uh, through injury at the weekend. You know, Emer Constein's going to be missing. We're yet to see will Nicole Cronin come through. Thankfully, Sene's red card's been rescinded, so she is available to play if she is selected. Whether Sam Monaghan comes back from injury or not, it's yet to be seen. I really hope she can, because she'll be a, be a big presence. But again, Aoife Wafer's out injured again. So it, it's going to be difficult. This is really going to test Ireland. I think it's going to be their biggest test to date. The Wales game, we had our full squad. Didn't happen for us. The Italy game, we had our full squad, and it did. We put in a performance. But this will be a challenge because we will not have anywhere near our full strength squad and we're asking a lot of players and it will really test our depth. But I do think we still have enough quality in that squad to beat a, a, a Scotland side who haven't really set the world alight 
with this campaign. And who would you like to see on that starting team? Would you make any changes from last week? Well, we have to make changes. Um, with Emer Constantine gone off the wing, I'm expecting someone like Laura Sheehan to come off the bench. You know, she has a couple of caps already. She's been in and out of squads uh, over the last number of years. She's got great pace and she's really worked on her defence. Uh, I'm assuming she'll come in and compliment Eva Doyle uh, on that left wing. I presume Molly will, Molly Scuff McCabe will keep her um, full back position there. Um, but whether, you know, if Nicole Crone doesn't come through, either they'll send Enya Breen to 10 and then um, Michelle Claffey will come into the centre along with Sene since she's cleared to play. But they could also choose to put Nikki Cahey into 10 and leave Enya at centres there. But um, I, I expect the pack to be unchanged unless Sam Monaghan is, is available um, again, which I really hope she is. But it is a big ups or it's a big ask for this team at the weekend, and this will really determine where we're at. So last week, Hannah was joined by Emer Constantine and Will Connors to discuss how each of them got into their rugby journey for representing Ireland and the importance of Sevens rugby to the development to them as a player. After that, I'll be back in studio with Hannah Tyrrell, but a quick reminder that you're listening to the Her Sports Six Nations show brought to you in association with Opal, the exclusive car partner to the IRFU. My mum wanted me to do uh, ballet. ballet. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. My mum wanted me to do ballet. I, only, I actually said yeah, that just yeah, out of pure yeah, joke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she actually wanted you to do ballet? Yeah, she wanted me to do ballet, uh, but the thing was, I was in school there was a there was an you got a medal whenever you'd go home uh, if you fell on the yard for the day so i was coming home every day with this bloody medal my parents are like what's going on what's this medal that keeps winning so the teacher pulled my parents aside and a parent teacher me and was like look will's going home crying every day um, and it's <laughs> like do you know maybe we should get him into sports or something and uh, my dad was like because I wasn't playing football, I was like, we'll get him into rugby first and we'll kind of throw him in there. So I don't know. I don't know. Was it kind of a winning mentality that I just wanted to always go home and medal or I was just a soft underbelly? There was definitely no ballet in my story. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, completely different. I started rugby when I was 23. And so it came from, I suppose, a long career of Gaelic football and camogie playing for Clare. Moved up to Dublin and got a call, I suppose, around the time they were trying to scout people, players like yourself, I suppose, to come play rugby, who had come from other backgrounds, just to make, uh, make a chance and try and qualify for that 2016 Olympics. Um, the player pool was really small at the time, so came through that way and was kind of taught every individual skill in isolation with four or five of us in a small group. And um, so as you'll, you won't forget either that trip we had to San Diego, where it was my very first rugby trip. I'd never tackled anyone. And um, <laughs> Stacey Flood and myself were on the bed in that hotel. And Thrown she was like, this is, how you, this is how you tackle. Like I don't, I'd only done yeah. tackle pads, done things in isolation, but never actually played a full contact game. And we went up against the USA, Canada. Like I actually would cringe when I looked back at the footage of those yeah. games. But look, thrown in the deep end, you either sink or you swim. Um, I definitely sank that day, but I'm still here anyway. So following on from the Ireland and England game, how did you get on with your fantasy rugby team last week? Um, yeah, look, another good round. A um, little bit disappointing. I put Jess Breach as my captain. And unfortunately, as we've discussed, she had to go off early enough. You might have to have some words with Dorothy Mulder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I didn't get too many points from her. I did have Scarrett in my team. I should have made her captain because she got me loads of points. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've fallen off top of the leaderboard there, but um, I'm pretty happy I'm in the mix. So For the next game, who are you going to have in there? Uh, again, I'm going to wait to see what teams come out, but it is going to be... Uh, I'm definitely putting a lot of Irish players in there because I do think we can get uh, a win against Scotland. Um, again, England and France, you can't go wrong. They've been a couple of my go-tos there, the likes of Sanseus and Fall. Um, I don't know if I'll keep breaching my captain. I'll have to see how I go. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it is a tricky one. It's hard. Teams come out. I always have an idea of what players I want to put in my team. And then the official teams come out. And particularly with England and France, there have been so many changes each week. I've had to make a few adjustments. But definitely keeping Scarrett, Kildon, um, Sanseus. Tremoulier, if she's there for me, um, if she's starting for France. 
a couple of Welsh in there, a couple of Scottish, and then I bring in my Irish again. Sam Monaghan's definitely going in there if she's playing. And is there any Ireland players that would get a look in that haven't on your team before? Any that impressed you last week? Yeah, look, like to be honest, I've been really impressed with the likes of Christy Haney in her first campaign. Um, so she's definitely worth a look this weekend. I thought she's really short up our scrum. Uh, in the England game last weekend, like England have an extremely dominant pack and their set piece has been excellent. And we got two, um, I think we got a penalty and a free kick from the first two scrums and that rattled England a bit. So like Christy Haney's got, done a great job in there. I have Linda in my team already, so she's going to stay there. Um, and if I take Sam, I've only one other chance, so um, I, I'll have to I'll have to see um, who I pick there. But you never know. Maybe Eva Doyle on the wing could could get a call up. <laughs> could get could be lucky enough to be on your team. And then ahead of the games this weekend, so England and France, obviously the big one. You've said earlier you do expect England to win, but what do you think the scoreline will be maybe, there? Maybe not expect England win. I think they might win. Don't know if I want them to win. Um, oh, I, I, I will go with an England win, but I do hope that it's a tight game. But it's France just can be so hit and miss, much like their men's team. They can be really inconsistent. I th I'm hoping it'll be something like 24, 22 uh, to England or something really tight like that. Um, I'm just hoping it's a really good game to watch, to be honest, and that, again, it gets people wanting to watch rugby, play rugby, get involved, go to matches, because that is, unfortunately, the pick of the game for the weekend. It is Le Crunch, the title decided. Teams are going for a grand slam, so I'm expecting big hits, you know, big offloads, great tries. And then, obviously, before that game, we have the Wales and Italy match. What would you expect the score to be there? Um... Given how Wales have gone this weekend, I think they could shade it. But again, Italy will take a lot of um, a lot of confidence from their win last weekend. And on their day, they can be very, very good. But what Wales have shown us this weekend, or this uh, campaign, I think they could win it again. I expect it to be quite a high-scoring game. So maybe something like 30-27 to Wales. 30-27. And then Ireland and Scotland, 8 o'clock. So it'll be after kind of, I suppose, the Grand Slam. But Ireland will still be looking to get their second win of the whole championship. What score would you like to see there? I'm going to go for an Ireland win here. Um, I really do think, based off what they showed us last week, they're really capable of some really good rugby. Um, their set piece and all that has improved. They like the likes of Aoife Doyle and if Laura Sheen comes onto the wing, they they're they're pacey wingers with good feet, and we can move them the ball. Like if we can get them the ball, they can score. Um, I think it'll be a little bit of a lower scoring game, so maybe something like nineteen twelve to Ireland. I'm I'm gonna say. So 19-12 to Ireland. So obviously it's the last round of the matches, England and France, the Grand Slam decider. Taking everything from the campaign, what do you hope people are left with from the campaign? Like competitive rugby, hopefully with this last match, but obviously we've seen breakthrough crowds, like the coverage of it. What do you hope people take from it? I hope that people have realised that women's rugby is a great spectacle to watch and that, you know, there's some unbelievably talented players across all the nations there and that it's exciting and entertaining um, and that it draws people in and that they now are kind of hooked into that rugby of like, I want to watch, doesn't matter if it's men or women's rugby, um, and that I want to go and maybe I want to get involved in playing rugby itself because what we're trying to do is grow the game, get more people watching, get more people playing, get more people involved in whatever way that they can. Um, and I hope it's just excited people and opened their eyes to the fact that this, this is a great sport to watch. And just because it's women's rugby doesn't diminish it in any way. There's still some unbelievable skill and talent there. And, and hopefully that's been seen over the last couple of weeks. And you'd imagine with the coverage that the Six Nations has got, it's only going to build from here. So I think it's really exciting to think about what the next one might look like. Absolutely. This is a stepping stone. And year on year, campaign after campaign, we need to be building on these opportunities to be able to improve the game. Because the more people we get involved, whether that's on the sidelines or uh, actually playing itself, is only going to improve the skill level and the quality. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, that has improved immensely. And it just means that we're getting more competitive matches, we're getting more entertaining matches, and more people then want to come and watch it.
I have a question for you. Yeah. So speaking of fantasy rugby, obviously it's all been about me, but how's your team doing? Um, I don't think my team has gotten very far owing to the fact I'm struggling to work out how the fantasy rugby is <laughs> It's not my forte. I think I was putting people in the wrong positions for a while because even on the England team, they can play in number one number of positions and then they weren't actually playing when the games came I out. I would so agree. So I think I was having technical difficulties. Women's Six Nations, if you're listening, please let us put players in multiple positions because... I, I agree. I wanted to play Stacey Flood. Uh, she's been playing as the centre for Ireland this year. Um, but I could only pick her as an out half or as a 10. And that was really frustrating. And that's why last year, I'm going to hope that is why my own wife dropped me for Baven. Because I played a 10, uh, but I was down as a winger on the, the fantasy rugby. And she had to make that ultimate choice and, and chose Baven. But... If she had been able to move me around, she could have maybe wanted to pick me at 10. Maybe she still wouldn't have picked me. But anyway, so it's not going too well for you. Yeah, no, There's that's, still one that's round left, I, you never know. That's what I'm going to put down for my reason. <laughs> <laughs> but this has been episode six of the Her Sports Six Nations show brought to you in association with Opal, the exclusive car partner to the IRFU. You can catch up on this episode and every episode in the series on YouTube and our social channels or listen to the podcast on every podcast app. And for our final competition, once again, we are giving you two tickets to see Ireland take on Scotland at the Kingspan Stadium in Belfast this weekend and a signed Irish rugby jersey. For your chance to win, answer this question. Who did Hannah Tyrrell make her international debut against in 2015? Comment below with the correct answer and we'll pick our winner tomorrow. Comment your answers on Instagram and Twitter with the hashtag HerSportsSixNations. Her Sports Six Nation Show in association with Opal.